You are listening to the Tuesday Talks podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology. The Tuesday Talks podcast welcome back returning guest speaker Kevin Rupi, partner at Wiley, with an updated regulatory episode on some of the FCC's recent rulings for gateway providers to adopt stir shaken and robocall mitigation compliances requirements and how this will affect foreign originated calls. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we bring truth and shed light across the brand identity and the communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with the Kevin Rupi, partner at Wiley. It's great to have you joining us again, Kevin. Welcome back. Well, thank you again for having me, Rebecca. Love being here. So today's topic is one that um, has definitely been discussed in the industry, um, not just from the main target or focus area of the ruling from the FCC, but you know, enterprises, service providers, standards groups, and uh, law firms who are representing um, providers, and that is uh, gateway providers. Um, the FCC has obviously um, implemented a lot of incredible you know, strategies, rules. I think the industry collectively has come together. We've implemented robocall mitigation plans, but this last targeted focus on the gateway providers is really a result of the realization and the fact that illegal robocalls are originating outside of the United States. And I'm not saying every originating provider here in the United States of America doesn't deliver calls that are might be mm, on the unwanted or illegal side. But the reality is, is a lot of the ones that we're really truly trying to block and stop, the ones who are going after grandma and taking money from her, are originating outside of the United States. So this last uh, order from the FCC was just really focused on, hey, we're going to shed a light on the group that we believe is the number one area in which these illegal calls are coming into. And you got to step up your game, and now you have to fall in line with a lot of the other requirements that service providers have already been uh, adhering to and implementing. But it seems like it's just going a little bit step further, um, maybe a little bit of a harder hand slap on the gateway providers. So, Kevin, we're really looking forward to diving into that because um, you're a lot more intimate with what those rules are, what the impacts are on gateway providers. But first, I'd, I'd actually want to start with um, we oftentimes assume everybody knows what what the definitions are that we that we use. So, um, <laughs> Thank you. Besides, um, you know what? I think it's good to start with what actually is a gateway provider. At least in Tuesday talks, we've talked so much about originating service providers, terminating service providers. So, who is this third group that we're introducing? What what actually is a gateway provider? Yeah, and that, look, Rebecca, that is a key question. That's an important question. And, and they do play a very unique role in this space. Um, and basically, to answer your question, the way the FCC defines a gateway provider, uh, they define it as, quote, a U.S.-based intermediate provider that receives a call directly from a foreign originating provider or foreign intermediate provider at its US-based facilities before transmitting the call downstream to another US-based provider. So, you know, the key thing in my mind on that definition of a gateway, they don't originate the traffic, they don't terminate the traffic. 
But what they do is they are the first U.S. domestic point of presence that receives foreign originated calls to the United States. And that's either from another intermediate slash transit provider or directly from the originating foreign uh, provider. And, and one other key component on this whole FCC framework is that in the context of the FCC's rules, it, it only focuses on those calls that come to the gateway provider that are using NAMP resources, U.S. numbers. Um, but, you know, to your point, at, at the end of the day, this is, this is a, a targeted group of providers. They're, they're basically a, a component or a subcomponent of intermediate providers. Um, but, you know, think of them as sort of the, the doorway onto the domestic voice network. And I think it's important to call this out, too. Are gateway providers typically just purely gateway providers, or could they also play multiple roles? You know, they can play multiple roles. And that's why, you know, over the years you've seen as the FCC has continued to release uh, orders uh, on these topics, um, they often talk about looking at this whole issue on a call-by-call -call basis because you're absolutely correct, Rebecca. There are, you know, a, a provider's role can change from call to call. Now, to be fair, there, there almost certainly are providers that do nothing but act as a gateway. But your point is, as usual, spot on. And so I think, you know, as we kind of go through some of the requirements for the gateway provider, that's kind of what's in the back of my mind of uh, a provider who are they able to definitely distinguish between the traffic that's coming in internationally versus other traffic. So I think those are things that, you know, that each of these providers are at least considering and getting a little bit more lines drawn um, with the traffic that they are carrying, passing, whatever it may be. And then what rules do they need to apply on it? Because it might be just a little bit different. Uh, depending upon if they are serving as an originating service provider to U.S. Uh, customers versus uh, external, you'll have to you'll have to set up procedures for both. You can't just take one approach. Um, and and I, I think it's also important. Uh, I know that I was saying like, oh, after the FCC did all these efforts, and then they're just you know focusing on the the child that they forgot. Um, that's not necessarily true. I, I will back it up with um, you know the industry traceback group has been around long enough to be able to gather some statistics. And so in 2021, they did report that 65% of the voice service providers identified as transmitting those illegal robocalls we were talking about were either foreign-based or gateway providers. And since the FCC cannot regulate foreign-based uh, companies, um, well, we can the gateway providers. So let's dive down into uh, some of the components um, specific for the gateway providers. And I want to start with uh, one of the first ones uh, that you mentioned. And, and I guess I really didn't think about the turnaround time, but there's a 24-hour traceback requirement. And, and that is different, right, from other providers and, and their response. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. So in the FCC's uh, earlier orders um, that, you know, established affirmative obligations on uh, voice providers, uh, it basically established a general obligation. The FCC basically said, look, if, if you are um, 
either a voice provider, you, you originate or terminate calls, um, or you are an intermediate provider, you are under an affirmative obligation to respond to the industry traceback group or the traceback consortium um, in a timely manner, okay? And the FCC, as I recall in the footnotes, said, you know, we generally expect a response within 24 hours, but, you know, realize that um, that can change. But, or it's going to vary by provider. But uh, with this proceeding and with this order, uh, the FCC made it an affirmative obligation. They, they have to respond within 24 hours, no questions asked. Now, the, the FCC did add some clarifying language about, you know, sort of how the clock tolls. In other words, that's within, you know, standard business hours, doesn't include weekends, et cetera. But at the end of the day, um, you know, they, they singled out the gateways, basically saying, you know, you, you've got 24 hours to respond. And they did that for the very, in part, for the very reasons you cited, Rebecca, that a lot of this traffic uh, does originate from overseas. So the FCC, um, you know, basically mandated that by rule, and, and that rule goes into effect. Um, it's subject to what's called PRA approval, but, you know, that's going to be, one of many obligations on gateway providers. Which, you know, I think um, if if gateway providers hadn't considered it yet, you know, you, they should definitely establish their own internal policies for reacting and responding to those notices. Um, I used to do that in a prior life for healthcare <laughs> type uh, notifications. Um, and you absolutely need to establish some kind of procedure, um, uh, an email group or whatever it is that you're going to process to make sure that you, you can't respond with, oh, I'm sorry, I was on vacation and didn't know. It's just not going to fly. Yeah. It's not going to fly. Um, that dog don't no, hunt. it doesn't. Um, but so, so then I want to move on into the area that has a lot more components to it, and that's on the blocking side. And you and I, in preparation for our Tuesday talk today, um, had some pretty interesting conversations around it, some things that I didn't maybe fully even uh, understand until we spoke. So um, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit more time here to go through some of those main components uh, for blocking uh, that gateway providers need to be aware of. Yeah, so, you know, to that point, I, I think the, the first initial takeaway that everybody listening in today or on the future podcast needs to take into account um, this is the first time the FCC has stepped into a mandatory blocking obligation. When you look at the FCC's preceding orders regarding blocking in the network or blocking by a terminating carrier or even the, the four initial blocking categories that were established in its 2017 framework, those are all permissive. So any voice provider or intermediate provider um, you know, was not under an affirmative obligation to block. Uh, and the gateway order changed all that. So, you know, this is the FCC basically saying, you have to block. You gateway providers shall block. Now, in, in, in fairness, um, the FCC has narrowed what that mandatory blocking framework is, and it's basically across two categories. Um, and the first category 
where a gateway provider has to block is when it's notified by the FCC of unlawful traffic transiting their networks. Um, but the second category is an ongoing obligation to block calls based on any reasonable do not originate list. And for those who aren't familiar with the do not originate list or DNO list, that is a category of, of phone numbers, typically toll-free numbers, that are used for inbound calls only. So these are, these are phone numbers that should never show up in the caller ID um, is making an outbound call. Uh, so in that category, and the reason the FCC wanted those calls blocked, to use an example, is that uh, in 2017, scammers were using the IRS's 800 number, which the last four was 1040, like your IRS form, but that was an inbound-only number. Uh, and the bad guys were making outbound calls with that DNO list. So the way a DNO list works is whoever is assigned that number, whether it's the IRS or Social Security, whomever, um, that number gets added to a list. And where a provider sees that number making the outbound call, they block it. Um, and that DNO list is a curated, evolving list. Um, but basically, the FCC is telling gateway providers that they have to implement a quote-unquote reasonable DNO list and start blocking those calls. So two categories of calls, each sort of had their own unique issues, but we are in a mandated blocking world uh, once those rules go into effect. And I want to call out some of the challenges with the DNO list. Um, also from the enterprise perspective. So obviously the enterprise has to play a role uh, in identifying which numbers are being used for inbound only and to also have internal processes that prevent that number from being attached to outbound calls because um, that has absolutely happened. I don't know uh, how familiar you are with how to set up dialers and campaigns and all that. A lot of human error uh, can occur and be introduced, um, and it could be detrimental uh, if, if accidentally the inbound-only number was assigned to outbound calls. Uh, but I, I, I think it's important to call out that there is no designated or ordained do-not-originate list, um, so that kind of makes it a little bit challenging for a gateway provider who's probably so far removed from an enterprise, uh, it's not like I don't see them putting on their website, hey, add your number to our DNO list. I, I well, what, an enterprise supposed to do that with thousands? You know, I don't see that happening. So, you know, this is another one of those where there's this requirement, but there's really no solid solution or a solution you would maybe like to have one ordained and then get a safe harbor with it. Um, but I know there's no safe harbor associated with it. No safe harbor. <laughs> so, you know, usually a safe harbor is a great motivation to uh, go do it, just like the reassigned number database. That one is a very specific one, and there are some safe harbors associated with it. So I just find it a little interesting that um, – they, the FCC didn't kind of stick in line with that reassigned database and, and have a do not originate. So I know Somos has one. They've been, you know, working on one and building one for, for quite some time now. So I just found it interesting. I don't know if you have any insights into why there wasn't one specifically identified and a safe harbor added to it. 
Yeah, now, so, well, those are two <laughs> very different issues. Um, but, you know, we can we can talk through each. So you're, you're absolutely correct, Rebecca. The FCC didn't um, specify any particular list to use. What they did say was the list has to be reasonable. That's the only criteria they have uh, for the DNO list. As you know, um, SOMOS maintains a DNO list. Um, the FCC's order actually in, in footnote uh, 254 uh, points out that the, the list maintained by the industry traceback group is considered a reasonable um, DNO list. So, you know, the FCC, for a variety of reasons, basically, you know, did not want to specify a list because they wanted to give gateway providers certain flexibility in how they implement it. But to your point, you know, these are dynamic lists. Numbers, you know, numbers don't get assigned as inbound only. I mean, that 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 is a changing uh, component to how enterprises use any particular number. Um, they can go from inbound only to inbound and outbound. They can they can be you know sent back to whoever they got it from and put out a service. And so those lists um, do have to be um, maintained and monitored and you know curated basically. And and as an example, if you look at the ITG's policies and procedures uh, for its DNO list, they, they talk about that. They talk about how they need to ensure um, certain criteria for DNO. Um, they don't want to put any and all numbers on a DNO list for a variety of reasons. Um, but maintaining that list, ensuring the integrity of that list is important for everybody, for whoever's doing the blocking and whoever... Uh, owns that phone number. But at the end of the day, gateway providers will have to institute some type of DNO list. And, you know, the only other thing I would flag on that point, um, the FCC says that such a list may include invalid, unallocated, and unused numbers, as well as numbers where the you know the owner of the number has requested that it be blocked so they can be broad lists narrow lists they just got to be reasonable yeah and i think that's what you'll end up having to argue is how reasonable it is (laughs) just having the list isn't going to be enough um yeah if you have two numbers on your list you you know you might have a uh, tough argument i mean that i mean my advice would be and take it for a grain of salt would be to leverage if I was in the gateway provider's position I would be leveraging uh, some uh, an already established industry one and maybe multiple and there's yeah. there's no yeah. nothing wrong with you know connecting with multiple ones um, so let's move on to uh, the robocall mitigation plan and I know there's some elements to that as well so gateway providers just like everybody else has to submit a robocall mitigation plan can you speak to those requirements? Yeah. So that's that's a big that's another big change in this gateway order. And and basically when the FCC initially rolled out its robocall mitigation database and that whole accompanying framework, um, there were there were only one small category of providers that had to submit what's called a robocall mitigation plan. 
Uh, and those are um, voice service providers that originate, terminate voice traffic that have not deployed the stir, shake, and standard. So because they didn't deploy the standard, they had to put together what's called a robocall mitigation plan. And they had to certify in the RMD that they have not deployed stir shaken or only partially deployed stir shaken and submit a plan. Under the FCC's new framework for gateway providers, they have to certify and submit a plan in the RMD. And why that's particularly notable for gateways, they are a subset of intermediate providers. And under the FCC's original RMD framework or existing RMD framework, intermediate providers did not have to certify. They, they basically got automatically populated into the RMD from um, the FCC's rural call completion database. So they really didn't have to do anything. Um, but this new framework adopted by the FCC, like, if you are a gateway provider, you are going to have to affirmatively submit a certification and mitigation plan um, through the RMD. Now, the, the, the plan that you submit uh, will be focused primarily on what your know your upstream protocols are. Um, you know, in other words, what you are doing to ensure that the uh, foreign intermediate or foreign originating providers, how you know those customers and are ensuring that they're not sending you or originating uh, illegal robocall traffic. But at the end of the day, this is an affirmative step for gateway providers that they have to take. So they got to develop a plan and then sign on the dotted line, certify. Yeah, and I think that last part, hopefully lessons were learned from the first round of submitting plans. Um, and it's not just a sheet of paper that says, you know, we'll do. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Whatever you say. I've seen yeah. it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, don't, I, I think the FCC's figured out enough to know, uh-uh, no, that's, that's not going to fly. So um, I, I guess there's, is there any uh, kind of framework or outline or format um, that can be used as a standard, or is it still really up to the gateway provider and you know, their idea of how they want to draft their plan? It, it's going to be up to the gateway provider. You know, the, the FCC generally steps away from overly prescriptive, here's what you have to do. But at the end of the day, whatever plan they put in there, you know, they've got to ensure, to your point, Rebecca, that it's, you know, it meets the requirements of, you know, establishing appropriate, um, you know, know your upstream protocols and what you're doing to stop bad traffic. And that makes me wonder what would be included in the know your upstream, because it's basically a way of saying, know the, know the originator who's in another country that we have no authority over, know them. Uh, or we could flip it and say, these are the rules in order for you, for anyone outside the U.S. to be able to deliver calls into the U.S., yeah, and I think different gateway providers are going to have different requirements. And, and I think, you know, if, if, if for the gateway providers that want to stay out of these crosshairs, 
they are going to have, they should have, in my mind, robust know your upstream protocols in place, right? I mean, if, 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 if a foreign voice provider is going to send that gateway traffic from wherever, whether it's India, Philippines, Mexico, it doesn't matter, you know, they've got to have criteria in place that establishes how they get onto that gateway provider's network. You know, do they require their originating providers to, you know, um, identify what outbound numbers, NAMP numbers they're going to be using? And, you know, do they have, uh, are they monitoring the traffic? Are they, you know, verifying who their customers are? Um, are they validating that this is a legitimate company with, you know, appropriate foreign authorizations, et cetera? Um, but, you know, there's, there's no um, silver bullet to how these plans get written. But for companies that want to, you know, stay in this space and operate in this space, you know, my, my advice would be to make sure you have robust mechanisms in place. And I, and I, and what your what your you know mitigation and now blocking steps will be for that traffic. Yeah, and I and I think if we could get a gateway provider to come on Tuesday talks, I think it'd be great. But I also fully understand that it would put a spotlight, and maybe it's really best time to lay low um, and not have opinions until you see how kind of things shake out. But I think it would be. Um, really insightful also to understand is all traffic that originates outside the U.S. and uh, coming in through their gateway um, truly foreign originated or was that just part of a route uh, from a U.S. base outside of and then back into the U.S.? I don't know. People get creative with routes of traffic. So um, yeah. I, I think there are, there are probably a lot of different challenges um, just identifying the traffic itself and whether or not that truly is an origination outside the U.S. or was it just handed to me from another Yeah, country? I mean, look, it, it, at the end of the day, for the gateway that, that ultimately sends that traffic onto termination, it, it's going to be up to them. Yeah. Like, you know, they're, they're going to have to, you know, implement appropriate measures. And keep in mind, you know, gateway providers, they've got the mandatory blocking scheme, um, you know, but... There are things they can do to, you know, monitor their traffic to make sure that they're not sending in, you know, unwanted yeah. bad traffic. Yeah. So what are the next steps that the FCC are looking at um, beyond gateway providers? Is there another area that they're going to focus on? So that's another great question. And, you know, basically in the FCC's item, so they, they issued the order. And there's, you know, multiple requirements on gateway providers. So I think step one, um, a lot of these, each of these rules have different implementation dates. So, you know, folks should keep tabs on, you know, when these rules go into effect uh, and when they're going to be under the obligation to do whatever it is, whether respond in 24 hours or register. Um but the FCC also adopted what's called a further notice proposed rulemaking that, you know, proposes a host of new rules that include things like expanding 24-hour traceback requirement on all domestic providers, right? So that's just currently limited to gateways. The FCC's basically saying, should we make everybody respond within 24 hours? Um, 
you know, they've, they've got um, proposals to extend a general mitigation standard to all voice service providers that have implemented stir shaken. Um, they've talked about uh, extending stir shaken to intermediate providers. So under the current framework, uh, intermediate providers can satisfy the stir shaken obligation by passing through any SIP traffic unaltered and responding to tracebacks. The FCC is basically saying, maybe we should make you deploy the standard. Like no more of this sort of work around, uh, you know, mandating stir shaken for uh, intermediate providers. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's many additional proposals that the FCC's kicking around. Um, and, you know, the, the FCC has been really aggressive and moves rapidly uh, on a lot of these robocall related issues. So, you know, I suspect more work coming. Yeah. And I for everybody, <laughs> not me necessarily, just saying industry. And, and I, I think these types of rules, like I said, they affect all the way back to the enterprise, especially on the DNO side of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's getting at what you and I have talked about for years, that it's going to take everyone in the ecosystem and those who originate the calls, like literally have the decision to decide, I'm going to call this individual. Uh, and then everyone in between that makes that call occur. Um, it's not real simple. It's quite complex, but it does take all of us to do our part. Um, and that's always been at the heart of, uh, at least for me and my goals and objectives that I've had is I, I truly believe the enterprise needed to step up to the table um, and at least identify and say, hey, we're the good guys, we're the good callers, and we can contribute by at least identifying us so you can separate that bad traffic from the good traffic. So there's still more to come. All right, Kevin, well, I want to thank you for joining us yet again. I'm sure we'll have you back as another uh, guest to talk about more stuff coming out of the FCC. Anytime. All right, so we'd like to thank all of you for joining us today for another episode of Tuesday Talks. We will actually be skipping our next recording in order to celebrate Independence Day. So I'll wish you all a very happy and blessed 4th of July in advance. We'll see you again on Tuesday, July 19th, where we'll be joined by Pierce Gorman, an industry legend and newcomer to the numerical team. We hope to see you there. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks, your source of truth in the communications industry. We'll be skipping over our next live session so that everyone can comfortably and safely celebrate their 4th of July plans. We'll be back on Tuesday, July 19th, where we welcome industry legend and newest distinguished member of our own product team, Pierce Gorman. We hope to see you then.